You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. A couple of times in staff meeting recently, as we've gathered together on Wednesdays during the week to prepare, uh, Nathan has mentioned that a few people have asked him when we're going to be singing Christmas carols. We're almost to Christmas Day and we haven't sung any Christmas carols here on Sunday morning. And he's told me that his answer has been consistent, that we will sing Christmas carols in Christmas. We are still in the season of Advent here. We have 12 days of Christmas to celebrate, so we'll have time to get a a lot of our carols in. We don't have to just cram it all into one day, but there is a a season of Advent, and there is a season of Christmas, and so we wait to sing those Christmas carols. But last night, there was a crack in the wall (laughs) between Advent and Christmas. Because we are not quite countercultural enough to have our Christmas party after the 25th. That would be like the true 12 days of Christmas feasting together is to wait till after the 25th, and now we're going to feast together. But we went ahead and gathered together last night. We had a Christmas party here where we enjoyed food together. We enjoyed um, a time of fellowship, a little bit of friendly competition over the soups and the desserts and the breads, which were all amazing. And we sang a couple of Christmas carols. And uh, I love the sense of anticipation that builds by holding on to the season of Advent, by waiting for that day when Christmas arrives, by continuing to, to press into our longing for Jesus to come. But I also think that it's actually fitting in some ways to have those moments where Christmas breaks into this season where we sing of what God already has done, because after all, it happened to Mary in the Magnificat that we hear today. She is standing there and waiting with the, in her womb, carrying Jesus. But the song that she sings is a song of the salvation that God has already done. As she waits in anticipation for the birth of the Savior that God has announced to her, She speaks as if it's already accomplished. It's an amazing example of faith because she sees and knows that when God makes his promises, that in the promises of God, there is a sense in which as soon as it is spoken, it is accomplished, even if we haven't seen it in all its fulfillment yet. The reading itself telegraphs that this is going to be a major theme of what Mary is saying in her her poem that she comes up with, this, this spontaneous poem or song that she speaks in front of her cousin Elizabeth, when it says, right before she begins to speak, blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Because Mary did believe. And for the one who has faith, God's promises are as certain as his saving acts. And it's worth taking a moment to look at that poem, that song, that that hymn that springs up from her and to see what she sees in the promises of God at the content of those promises that Mary sees fulfilled already. We're in Luke chapter 1, if you're following along. Um, In verse 48, 
it says he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And of course, in the culture that she was in, part of this um, is the fact that she's going to be a mother. And there is a sense that this song is reminiscent of the song of Hannah, who prayed to God for a child, who had that given to her, and who is looking at the fact that she's going to be a mother as a blessing. But as the song goes on, it's clear that there's far more than that going on. She understands that the child that she is bearing is also a savior. And as she continues to speak, she looks at herself as one who is humble and is lifted up, but she sees the saving work of God breaking into humanity to lift up all of those who are humble, all of those who are needy, all of those who are poor and hungry, all of those who are in need of salvation. In verse 50, it says, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Carried in Mary's womb is the one who is the judge, but also is the one who brings the cessation of judgment, who, who ends all judgment upon those who have faith in him. The one who carries in his very being the mercy of God come to people, to those who, who look to him. It is the vindication of the righteous, the setting right of all things, this is what she sees even as she has not yet laid eyes on her son. In verses 51 and 52, it says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Part of what Mary sees the fulfillment of is a great reversal the toppling of the proud and the mighty and the lifting up of the humble and the needy. In verse 53, we see this even more explicitly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. It is only those who are needy who are satisfied by what God is doing. Only those who recognize that they need a Savior, that they have someone coming who can actually rescue them from the plight that they are in. Verses 54 and 55, it says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That phrase of has helped, it carries with it this idea that God has already done it even as there is a sense that, that Jesus is waiting to be born, but because the word of God, are, his promises are true, and we see God throughout all of salvation history working to accomplish his promises and his deeds, he has helped. It's something that has happened already, but it has ongoing implications. It carries into the future. It will continue to mean something for the people of God forever and ever, that God has helped them in the person of Jesus. What Mary sees in the baby in her womb and the word that God has spoken to her is nothing less than Jesus. God saves. She sees the salvation of God's people. The name Jesus means God saves. Salvation means talking about the fact that God is saved. And this is good news to all of those who are in need. Those who are just content with their life now 
the wealthy, the proud. There's no good news for them. They don't know that they need salvation. But for those who understand, who see the, the pressing of sin upon them, who feel their hunger, who feel their need, this is good news. This is part of why we take this season of Advent to sit and wait in the need for our Savior, to focus a bit more on our sin and our longing for Him to come. Because as we groan under the weight of sin and death, then Mary's song is for us. If you wonder how tomorrow's needs will be met, then Mary's song is for you. If you wonder when suffering will end for you and for your loved ones, then Mary's song is for you. If you look upon the world and just weep at the constant news of tragedy, about how it is a world that is not right, it is not the way that things should be, then Mary's song is for you. For she carries the one who, in his own public ministry years later, would declare as he went to the synagogue and unrolled the scroll of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you have everything you need, if you're perfectly content with your own lot in life and the way that the world is, then the word of God, Mary's word, is not for you. But to the extent that you realize and see and understand your desperate need for salvation from sin and suffering and death, then you need to know that God has promised salvation. And God always keeps His promises. This is so sure, it's so certain, that if you have faith, you can take joy in their fulfillment right now. You don't have to wait until it's all done. You don't have to wait until it's accomplished. Here in this season of Advent, as we feel the longing and the need for a Savior, as we feel the need for God to break in, we can also do so with joy because we know that He has. Christ has come, and Christ will come again. We live in this tension, this reality that that God has made His promises, and we know them to be true. We have different seasons of the church year, like Advent and Christmas, because we are finite beings that can't always look at everything at once. And sometimes if we try to take it all in, we miss all of it. We're like somebody that's just turning their heads, spinning around, looking from one place to another, never letting their eyes actually rest on any one thing. We need a time when we can remember our great need where we collectively groan under the weight of sin and long for God's salvation. We need a time where in Christmas, where we can enter into a full-throated celebration of what God has done. 
but it isn't really a sequential process, like we make it because we are just finite and have to kind of look at it that way. It's not like we all do all of our groaning here and then we have all of our salvation here. And that, you know, it's only during this time of the year that we feel the weight of sin and then this time it goes away. The truth is that there is great joy in the anticipation of Advent. The truth is that your groaning under the weight of sin isn't going to go away on December 25th. Both are true now and always. I've tried to think of a way to talk about this, and I was telling Nathan that anytime that you're trying to think of a way to illustrate a point and your mind goes to quantum superposition, just go a different direction. That's not going to help. And then, Dapa, would you press number seven on the camera for just a moment? I was looking at the painting here this morning, and there is sometimes a way that art can help us to see things and understand things in a way that, that our eyes cannot quite see. Here in this painting, we have a picture of the father and the mother and the Christ child, and we have people gathered together around in worship, looking at the presence of the Christ among us. And we see people who we know. There are people here who are from our congregation who are present here worshiping, and there's a great throng. So even if you don't see yourself, you can imagine yourself among this group of people. And as your mind's eye settles in, as your imagination settles in, and you see yourself before the throne of God, worshiping with joy at the light and of the Savior, of, of all the imagery of God who is both baby and king, of Jesus Christ who is both baby and the king, the one who is, is coming to save us and the one who has saved us and the one who will come again. And as your, your mind takes in the imagery and you look around and you see and you understand that what you're looking around at even as you look at the people in this room are people who feel the weight and the need and the groaning of sin, but also people who are gathered together to worship at the throne of God. We are both of these at once right now. And this is the reality that Mary is speaking, that we are those in desperate need and we are those who have been saved all at once because God keeps His promises. And this is why I think it's okay when a little bit of Christmas breaks into Advent. <laughs> but this waiting for the fulfillment, this holding the tension of both things being true all at once isn't always easy. It's easy for us to be blinded to the reality of what's happening among us. To forget for a moment the weight of sin or to forget for a moment the joy of salvation. The prophets also understood that God's word, when it was spoken, would always be accomplished, that God kept his promises. But they also only got to see that fulfillment by faith much of the time. The prophecy in Micah from today, um, I'm going to turn and read this again. It's that prophecy of a ruler who is going to be born in Bethlehem. It's from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathath, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, 
from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is a a passage of scripture that we typically hear around Christmas time. And it's easy to just look at this as this beautiful moment that's sort of predicting where Christ is going to be born. And even in the language of the prophecy itself, we look at this moment of waiting for she who is in labor to give birth, and we think of Mary. And this is good and right because the prophecy is pointing to this. But it's also pointing to an answer to a problem that was raised back in chapter 4. Verse 9 says, Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Speaking to the people of Israel. Has your counselor perished, that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Just as we are holding in tension our salvation and our need, in the prophets, oftentimes we hold in tension a view to the future, a looking to the coming of the Messiah, looking to the, the one who would be born of a woman. And also seeing here in this image of a woman in labor, the the nation of Israel itself that longs for the true king that will lift it up and bring salvation. And they are going to writhe in pain like a woman in labor until the day when that son of David comes. They are a people who have great need, who experience great pain. And it would be 700 years before that birth would be complete. The labor lasted for 700 years until the Messiah was born. And it's important for us to know as we hold all of this intention that faith does not remove our suffering. It doesn't remove our labor. It doesn't take away the pain that we experience. And yet, at the same time, It allows us to see through it. They are a people who are condemned to exile, who are going to be taken off to Babylon. But they are also a people who are going to be saved. And because God has done it, because God has said it, they know that even as they go out, that their captivity is not forever. Their redemption is coming. This is what we are to hold as a people at all times. The tension that we are to have is that our salvation is certain. And therefore, because our salvation is certain, we can have joy in the midst of our suffering because we can look in a way and say, in a way, I have been saved. My salvation has already occurred because of what Jesus has done in his birth and in his death and in his resurrection. My salvation is sure, and yet I long for my salvation. I long for the day when sin has no hold on me whatsoever. I long for the day when I don't read the newspaper and hear about innocent people who were killed. 
I long for the day when all things are set right, when the Christ who has come comes again, and the humble are lifted up and the haughty are judged. And I pray to God to be among those who are humble, who are waiting, who know their need for a Savior. As we approach the day of Christmas, as we approach the day where we get to to enter into that full celebration together, we know that the birth of Jesus is an event to be celebrated. Because this is where we become certain of God's salvation as we look back at what God has done for us. The incarnation is a gift beyond imagining. It's one of those things that every time I stop and actually think about the fact that the infinite God of the universe took on flesh and became a human, that he took on pain and suffering and death in order to save us, it's beyond my ability to comprehend what actually that means. And the only proper response as we look upon that day is to to fall down in worship, to sing like Mary did about what God has done, what he has accomplished. But it's not only a miracle. It is that. It's also a promise. When we look upon the birth of Christ and we anticipate that birth, we also see in it a pledge. God has bound his own fate with that of his people forever. He has taken on our flesh in order to save us in a way that becomes an eternal promise that I will accomplish my salvation. He has taken death into himself in order to say that death will be vanquished. He has taken sin upon himself in order to say that sin will not reign. He has died and risen again so that we might have a true hope and a certain knowledge of our salvation. We have been saved. And we will be saved. This is the good news. This is the gospel. So as we come to Christmas together, celebrate, because God keeps his promises. Sing out with joy, because God keeps his promises. And don't hold this good news in for yourself. It's too big. Go tell the hungry. Go tell the poor. Go tell the brokenhearted. Go tell those who are in need. That God keeps his promises. And so our salvation is sure. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.